Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello, Freckled Foodie fam. I want to do, I don't know if trigger warning is even the right verbiage for this, but this episode is emotional. It talks a lot about our honest experience with postpartum, postpartum depression, and for the guest, postpartum psychosis. We get very fucking emotional. I have not cried like this in any episode. And just brutally honest, you know, the whole purpose of this and my show and everything I do is to help people feel less alone and to help them feel seen and understood and to remember that there are people out there experiencing similar things. And I hope that this does that for someone, whether you're a mom or not. I think it's an amazing listen because it really gives you an inside look into what people's postpartum experience can be like. And this is the first Freckled Foodie family member to ever be a guest, which is something I honestly, like ironically, I mentioned this in here, I was thinking about doing, and then she reached out and it was just so serendipitous. So I think this is one of the most impactful and profound episodes I've probably ever released. I get super freaking emotional in it because it also just reminds me of this incredible community that we've cultivated and created and how blessed I am to have all of you. Um, But it's, it's definitely an emotional one. So I wanna give that heads up. And I hope that this helps someone out there. And I want you to remember that no matter what, you are not alone. Come on in, take a seat, pour a drink, pass one me. Freckle foodie and friends, talk about life's odds and ends. Throw away your hesitations, have unfiltered conversations. If you've got an ear to lend, here's Freckle foodie and friends. Michelle, I'm so excited to have you. You're my first Freckled Foodie family member. Like That's crazy. On the show. It's so cool. And you know what's wild timing-wise is, so the year ends and I always reflect on like what I did this year for work-wise and what I want to do next year. And the podcast is a big focus for me right now. So I've been thinking about it, thinking about it. And I asked people like, what do you want to hear more about on the show? And for me... I'm always interested in a lot of people in this space because I want to pick their brains because I'm like, well, how did you get here? What, how are you creating content? Like, what was your story? But then I also realized a lot, most of my listeners are not creators. So right. like, sure, it's interesting if they care about the person and they follow them, but at the same time, like it gets a little redundant. So then I was thinking, well, I want to have like specific episodes on specific topics and maybe bring in Freckle Foodie family members because- they're the listeners, like they're the community. That's like the main demographic of people. 
and you happen to email me. Like literally the timing was so weird. And that's why I was like, can we get on a call real quick? Like I want to chat and try and make this work. Well, it's so wild because like the universe is a crazy thing, right? Yes. And, you know, it's less than a week ago that I that I emailed you. And I just remember feeling it was like six in the morning. I had to work that day. And I just felt this like, like I was compelled to reach mm-hmm. out to you. And and I can't describe what it was, but it was just like universal push. Like I have to let Cameron know how much her podcast has meant to me and specifically my postpartum journey. So it's wild. It's so wild. Yeah. So here we are a week later, which is very fast. Um, <laughs> and I just want to kind of like lay some context out for listeners of how this happened because people are probably like, wait, what the hell? I, right. I DM Cameron all the time. Um, <laughs> So for context right now, as we're recording this, the Duxbury mass tragedy happened like a a week or so ago. Mm -hmm. And I posted on my Instagram stories about it. Just I'm saying that my heart breaks for this family and for everyone involved. And just that it's so sad that this can be a reality for people during this postpartum experience and how intense it can be. And that we need more support and awareness around the mental health aspect of it all. I don't want this episode to be focused on what happened in Duxbury because I don't know enough information and things are gonna keep coming up and new information is gonna come out and I'm not a specialist in the field and I don't wanna speculate anything. But it opened up the conversation even further in terms of the mental health during postpartum, which is something I talk about a lot. And that was what eventually led to this email you sent me. Yes. So I would love if you could share for listeners like your postpartum experience to kick things off and then we can kind of go from there. Absolutely. Um, So I had, you know, plan to have my daughter. Mm-hmm. It was a planned pregnancy and it was fairly easy for us to get pregnant. And it's not lost on me that, you know, it's very hard for many of my friends specifically right now to get pregnant. Um, so I'm very lucky and privileged that that was my experience. Mm-hmm. You know, my pregnancy was initially pretty standard. I had like the traditional morning sickness. And then it wasn't until I went for my 20-week anatomy scan that the doctors told me she was measuring a little bit small for how far along she should be. And so I, looking back on it, I think that my postpartum anxiety, even though I wasn't postpartum yet, kind of started in that stage. I felt this overwhelming sense of responsibility and that, you know, suddenly parts of my life were out of my control and I needed to make a desperate attempt to regain control. And so what that looked like for me was, you know, she was measuring small. So it must be something that I'm doing wrong. Um, Maybe I'm not eating the certain types of foods that I should be eating. Maybe I should be eating more. I remember eating so much one day to the point that I threw up. And I felt intense shame right after that because all of this work that I had spent trying to nourish my baby, you know, it just all came out. And, you know, I can't, it's hard to comprehend that I even thought that way at the time because the truth is nothing is in your control. Nothing Mm -hmm. is ever your fault. You know, it turned out to just be my placenta was not giving her the nutrients that it needed to. And there was nothing that I could do to help that. So kind of fast forward, 
I'm down to 37, 38 weeks. I had a planned induction um, because the thought was if we can get her out of me to the other side of the world, that I could start giving her, you know, nutrition either by breastfeeding or bottle feeding. And so I had an induction. I was supposed to have a vaginal delivery and that didn't go as planned. She wasn't tolerating my contractions. Her heart rate kept dropping. And so I ended up having to have a C-section, which which was fine. Um, it's definitely like a crazy shock when you're going through it, especially if you're not mentally ready for it. But I remember when she came out of me and I heard her crying, I was it's just this sudden emotion that you can't really articulate. But I knew something was not quite right. I didn't feel that instant connection to her while I was like overwhelmed with joy and that she is, you know, safe and healthy um, and breathing. I I felt like I don't know this baby right now. Like I mm-hmm. feel like I'm not really connected to her. And that's when like my anxiety really started to kind of heighten she was born a little bit before 10 p.m. And I did not sleep that whole night. And it wasn't because I wasn't tired. I was so tired. I had been in labor since 8 a.m. that day. But I felt like I was literally crawling up the walls, like my heart was racing. And I just thought like, okay, maybe this is a side effect of like the medication that I was given for the birth. But I just, I knew something wasn't right. And so I had planned on breastfeeding. I had read so many books. I had consumed so much content on Instagram, um, TikTok, you know, just I I felt like I was ready. I was like, okay, like so many women do this. I know it's hard. I've been told it's hard, but I know that I have prepared for this so I can do this. Right. You never know you never until know. it's happening. Like, how like you can have all of these preconceived notions and then you're like, yeah, but I'll I'll figure it out. Right. And then suddenly you're like for me, nipples are inverted. The baby's not latching. He has a tongue tie. Like you can't get the mouth correctly on. There's no milk being pulled. The baby's crying. And it's like, how how, how am I supposed to do this? Right. And for me, you know, I have one inverted nipple. Yeah. <laughs> the other one is good. So like, <laughs> you what are the odds of that? Yeah. So I just remember like she was not latching. She ended up having a lip tie. And so that mm-hmm. was part of it. And I remember like being in the hospital bless this nurse. She was really trying to help me because she could see I was getting overwhelmed. And she's like, let's just try and manually express milk into this spoon. Like legit, my husband was like squeezing my tit into this spoon. I was then taking a syringe, Mm -hmm. putting the colostrum in the syringe and then syringe feeding her thinking like, okay, like this is making me feel somewhat better because I am in control of this situation. But This is just so weird. It's not natural. It's not what I envisioned. And we pretty much were discharged from the hospital, you know, with me just trying to manually express and syringe feeding her. And so we went home and she ended up losing a significant amount of weight. And I'm aware that that is a common, that is an expected thing for babies Mm -hmm. to lose weight. But she was already in the five pound range and she had lost a good amount more weight to the point when we took her to the first pediatrician appointment, she wasn't regulating her body temperature. So she was hypothermic. So we actually got sent back to the hospital. And I had already felt this incredible sense of failure already as a mother, you know, giving birth to a low birth weight baby and not being able to feed her the way I had anticipated to feed her. And now because I couldn't feed her, 
this baby cannot regulate its body temperature and I'm having to go back to the hospital. Like it was just such like a, a blow to my brain, a blow to my heart. And my poor husband is just, he, he knows that I'm struggling in this moment and he's trying to help and trying to be there for me, but he's also scared as well. So we go back to the hospital and we do a full, when a baby is hypothermic, it could be an indication of sepsis. And so I am now signing, you know, I'm maybe three or four days postpartum at this point, and I'm signing a consent form for my baby to get a lumbar puncture so that they could get spinal fluid from her to test for meningitis. I remember like having to step out of the room and leave her on that table and for staff to do the procedure. And it just, nothing felt natural. I remember thinking like, this is nothing what I expected. Like what is happening? It just, it was such a, a state of confusion and shock. I just didn't know how to process what I was going through at the time. And so when we were in the hospital, we had a lot of staff teaching us how to, you know, they worked with me on pumping. Mm -hmm. Um, It definitely became apparent that, you know, her being able to latch and me being able to breastfeed, that could no longer be the focus. I had to really switch into how are we going to feed this baby and and let's just get her fed um, because fed is best fed is fucking best like come on yeah it's <laughs> you know I can't it, believe we even have to like still fight this but yes yeah and so I started pumping and when I was in the hospital my milk finally came in um, so I was generating a huge supply which was great so we were able to bottle feed her we set timers for every two hours and we just fed her every two hours And we finally found a bottle that works. Like I didn't realize. Another thing. Another thing that came up. Like Mm -hmm. babies don't just latch on to the first bottle that you give them. It's a process. And so we were able to feed her. We were discharged from the hospital. We went home and things got a lot better. I was doing actually quite well. She was gaining weight. She was thriving. You know, aside from like the obvious like sleep deprivation that Mm -hmm. happens during those first weeks. You know, me and my husband had created like shifts. Like, you know, I would sleep from seven to like two or three in the morning and then I would take over. And so we were able to make things work. And we were doing too. And we just were having a great time. And I finally felt like I was, you know, had control of the situation. I was being a mom, I was taking her outside. We were going out to restaurants and and I just felt like we were really doing what I had expected, you know, this new life would be. And then obviously things kind of took a turn a couple months in. Today's episode is sponsored by Staple and my morning routine and a brand I have been taking and loving for years, Athletic Greens. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted to support my health first thing in the morning and add on to my morning routine in a way that prioritized my overall well-being. I take AG1 first thing in the morning after I meditate and before I go and wake up my son, and it makes me feel like I'm doing something good for my body before the sun has even risen. In last week's episode with Katie Austin, we talk all about our morning routines in major depth because I love getting into the nitty gritty of these types of things. And she told me that she waits at least an hour from when she wakes up until she has her first cup of coffee. At the time, I was honestly shocked at her ability to do that as coffee is usually like the second thing to hit my lips after my AG1 in the morning. But randomly, Joe began doing the same thing. And so I eventually tried as well. I have to say it makes a big difference in my overall morning mood. 
So now here's what my mornings look like. I wake up, I do my daily meditation, and then I come downstairs to make my glass of AG1 and I sit on the couch with Charlie while I jot down some morning thoughts and I watch the sunrise. I then make another glass of water or a cup of tea and head upstairs to get in my morning movement. Then once I wake up our son, it's time for my coffee and breakfast and his bottle and breakfast. The consistency of having AG1 first thing in the morning gives me the energy boost I need to take on my day and also assures me that I'm getting in my daily nutrients. So if you want to take ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash FFF. That's athleticgreens.com slash FFF and check it out. Ever since moving to the Burbs, I have been missing my yoga practice. Obviously, there are studios here that I could check out, but quite honestly, I have just fully converted to at-home workouts. It just makes my life so much simpler, especially with everything going on between parenting and work and furnishing this house, etc. The ability to just like pop upstairs and work out quickly is the most efficient way to spend my time. I honestly forgot how much time was spent like going to and from a studio until I started working out at home. However, I've never really found an online platform that offers yoga that I've liked, but that is until I found Allo Moves. Allo Moves is a streaming on-demand wellness platform that features yoga practices, fitness routines, meditation sessions, and so much more from one of my favorite brands, Allo Yoga. Allo Moves has a ton of fresh content with over 100 new classes added every month, plus over 3,000 classes for every level, beginner to advanced. Most importantly, I love how easily Allo Moves fits into my schedule. Since all of the classes are on demand, I can take them whenever I'm able to get my movement in and can completely be on my own timeline, whether it's in the morning, on my own before my son wakes up, or in the basement, off to the side while he's playing with his toys in the afternoon. It's not just me that is loving Allo Moves. It was voted best wellness app of 2022 by InStyle Magazine and best yoga app of 2023 by Women's Health. For a limited time, Allo Moves is offering my listeners a free 30-day trial plus, get this, 50% off an annual membership. But you can only get it by going to allomoves.com and using code CAMERON in all caps. That's A-L-O-Moves.com and all caps code CAMERON to get free 30-day trial plus 50% off an annual membership. Allomoves.com, code Cameron, all caps. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. Before we get into that, Mm -hmm. I just want to go back to a few points of like the very early experience because 
the idea of not feeling the immediate connection with your child is something that I think a lot of people actually experience, but hasn't been discussed as far as I'm concerned. I haven't heard much open discussion publicly about it, mm-hmm. where I think a lot of people who feel that way feel so isolated and like, what is wrong with me? Why don't I feel this way? Mm-hmm. And what I've learned from this show is that I can only share my experience, right? And so for me, I, I did feel that connection, but I know that so many people do not. So I would love if you feel comfortable sharing more on what that felt like and looked like and how it eventually evolved and what that evolution looked like, because I do think a lot of listeners experience that. I know someone very close in my life experienced that as well. And I also think that even if they haven't experienced that for someone like me as a person who's delivered, it's important to hear another side and another story. And also for anyone who potentially could deliver in the future, I think it's important to hear this so that if they are in a place of this happening, it's like, oh, okay, this isn't only me. I know this has happened to other people. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I think part of the reason why moms don't talk about this or don't share this is because there's an immense amount of shame Mm -hmm. and, and guilt. Like I felt like almost like should I have had this baby? Like, should I be a mom because I'm not feeling these feelings? And I remember it being very distinct and immediate because I remember being on the table in the OR during the C-section. And I remember them holding her up above the curtain and I'm looking at her, but I just feel almost like numb. Like Mm -hmm. I don't recognize this baby. I, I don't see her as my own. And, and the only way I can actually like articulate it is just like feeling numb and feeling isolated. And I never really had that moment where the baby comes out and they lay her on your chest. I don't know if maybe it, it's because I had the C-section, like everything's sterile. They don't do that. But I, I never had that moment. And I just, the only way I can articulate it is, is just feeling this huge disconnect. And even after I was holding her, I was like hoping to feel love, but I was not feeling love. It it's it's just hard. It's it's almost like they put like an inanimate baby doll in front of mm-hmm. me and you're looking at it, you're like, I know this is a baby, but it's not mine. It's weird. My someone very close to me who experienced this as well said that when the baby came out, she was like, Well, I don't know this baby. Like how am I supposed to immediately love you? I don't know who this is. Like, I got to get to know you. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm sure you're a person, you're a baby. Great. You're like, I'm glad you're healthy, but I don't feel like I know you yet. Right. And, and it took a while to get to know her. I, if I'm being totally honest, I don't think I really felt like a pure connection until I think month three. Up until that point, it was almost like this, like, I don't want to say the word pet, but it almost felt like a pet that I had with me that I had to feed and had to hold, like had to keep alive. And it lived in my house. And I did not feel like this pure, like love for my child until month three. And I think also maybe part of it was I didn't get to have that breastfeeding experience because I know sometimes that also will boost connection with your child. And that wasn't happening. Can I also say just Mm -hmm. for someone listening who's maybe thinking like, had I breastfed, maybe I'd feel this. Mm -hmm. I think that yes, maybe some people 
could feel an increased boost of connection with breastfeeding. I also think some people, it can make them resent their child. Yes. And this all goes to say that like, this is the clear example that everything is so individualized. What works for one person might not work for another. And one person's story is different than the others. But like for me in the beginning stages with the breastfeeding, that was the time where I was like, I don't know who this is, this yeah. kid, because we could not figure it out. And my husband was squeezing my boob and we were putting on nipple guards and we were trying and he was crying. And I'm like, what, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, I feel like I should know how to do this. Why isn't this just working? Yeah. And eventually we did get to a place where it was working. But even in when it had started to shift into, I was successfully quote unquote breastfeeding, those still were times where I, that wasn't when I felt the connection. Mm -hmm. And I've thought about this a lot because I'm not someone that's gonna say I'm gonna do something because you cannot decide until you're in the moment. People ask, are you gonna breastfeed with the second or not? If it played such a role you think in your postpartum depression, I have no idea. It could be such a different experience. I could not even get milk, like who knows? Exactly. But I've thought like about my experience breastfeeding and part of it has come up of me trying to unpack, do I think that played a role in my connection with my son? And I really don't think so. I truly do not. And I know other people might think differently, but I don't, I, I really don't. I also wanna ask you, I had a similar experience where my postpartum depression didn't hit until later. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the beginning stages, I say this all the time, I was able to exist in his world I had a really hard time with him existing in mine. So in those early first 10, 12, whatever you want to call it, weeks, it was simply just me, my husband, and him in our apartment. We didn't have help. It was just us. And it was like this team thing where I was like, we can do this. We got this. All I was focused on was like the two of us eating, sleeping, pooping, and showering. And if we did those things, it was a success and I could live in that world. I had a really hard time then returning to things and feeling like, who am I? What just happened? What is my life? Who is this child? How am I supposed to just go back? Like, I don't have anything to talk about with anyone in my life. I, I don't know who I am. And I don't think that experience is talked about enough because I think mostly what we hear in postpartum depression is like right away, those feelings. And you talk about shame. And I think that a lot of women feel those emotions when it comes to sharing an open and honest experience in terms of pregnancy and postpartum, because we've been told that you're supposed to do this or this is how it's supposed to feel. And there's just shame around feeling like we didn't do it right or we're not doing the things that are meant to be happening. And I feel a lot of shame in terms of intrusive thoughts. And I think I talked about them in the episode with Emily, which yes, I'm sure we'll reference. Absolutely. But I was even talking to one of my close friends this morning. I slept at her apartment last night and she was asking about the episode we were recording. And I don't know, I think I maybe said them in Emily's episode, but that's something I feel a lot of shame around even speaking because I'm like, imagine someone listening to this and if they hadn't experienced it or they aren't coming from a place of, kindness and caring and understanding, it can seem really fucked up to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the hard parts, I mean, I dealt with it when I was pregnant and then also postpartum is like almost having to like fake it when like people are asking totally. you like, 
And they phrase it as in like, oh my gosh, like you're pregnant, you're beautiful. Like, aren't you excited? And like, meanwhile, I'm like, well, do you have an hour to talk about how yeah. <laughs> like things aren't going well? And, you know, I, I'm not going to like share all of that with someone and, and you know, I don't want to use the word burden, but like burden someone with, with what I'm going through. But, you know, I think just people almost assume that like you are in this place so you must feel this way and so it kind of makes you feel that like well what if I'm not feeling that way then there must be something wrong with me Mm -hmm. that I'm not feeling the way everyone else expects me to feel right now and do I really want to share that with people in the moment you know yeah I remember I still get super emotional when I meet or see anyone who's recently given birth because I make such an effort now having had this experience I never would have before to ask, how are you? Right. Like, I honestly rarely ask about the baby. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but like mm. everyone's asking about the baby. Yeah. So I'm always like, how are you doing? And this happened to me recently. I ran into a girl on a walk who I knew and I could just, you just feel the emotion, like the tears, you can see them instantly. Yes. And this like feeling washes over them of like, no one's asked me that mm-hmm. since I delivered. Because it's always focused on you. And then the second the baby comes out of you, you are forgotten by most of society. And I've noticed that like when I was in the thick of my postpartum depression, I knew how I was feeling. And and it's weird. You can see it when if you're talking to someone else that's going through the same thing, even though they're saying like, oh, you know, not sleeping much, but I'm doing okay. Yeah, I I know when they're not like it's just something about the look in their eyes and the way they carry themselves. I just know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean. A lot of members of the Freckled Foodie family knew because when I was in it and all my stories and talking, I would get a lot of DMs from moms being like, I see you, mm-hmm. take some time. Like they knew. And I even get emotional thinking of like reflecting back on that period of time. Like the fact that when I was sharing, like just that I was so putting myself out there when I was not okay and gratitude for the community that I have that supported me, but also that like stuck with me. Yeah. Makes me really happy. Okay. So month three, Mm -hmm. what shifts for you mentally? So month three is when I was ending my maternity leave and I was planning to go back to work. And initially I had planned to go back to work full time, but then It's just sometimes when you have a partner and the demands of that partner's job are a little bit higher, I guess I would say, you know, someone needs to be available to care for the child. It's just as simple as that. My husband works in cybersecurity consulting. He travels a lot for work. And my job at the time in the full-time capacity at the hospital, if I continue to be full-time, it wasn't you know, something where, you know, oh, it's four o'clock. Like I got to leave to pick up my baby. No, like if there's still patients to see, like you have to stay there and you have to take care of that. So both of us, myself and my husband, couldn't both have jobs that demanded that kind of level of attention. So I had decided to go back part-time and it was very similar to what you experienced. Like when I was in on my maternity leave in the initial weeks, it was just about surviving. And if we had survived that day where we all got to eat, we all got to shower, like got to sleep a little bit, it was a successful day. But when 
I started to go back to work and have to manage childcare. And then it was also kind of a, a similar time where some of my friends were reaching out, you know, understandably so wanting to see me and yep. wanting to see the baby and wanting to hang out. And like, I just remember feeling like so touched out because this baby is still yes. needs you so much that I didn't have any energy to go grab a drink with a friend or, you know, go get dinner somewhere. And it just took a lot out of me. And that was kind of start like the tipping point where I was like, am I going to really be able to do this? Like, am I going to be able to have a child, but then also have the life that I used to and recognizing that your life is completely different. Now you go through almost this grieving process. You're grieving your old self. You're grieving your old life. I was having these feelings of like regret, almost like I'm like, is having a child, is is that something that I should have, like, was that the right choice for me? Like, yeah, uh, why you. do I feel so shitty? And mm -hmm. and then having those thoughts made me feel even more shitty about myself. Because I'm like, what a horrible thing. Like, you are blessed with this beautiful daughter in front of you that you love so much. But why are you, like, wishing away these days? Like, what mm -hmm. what is wrong with me right now? And then another part that not everyone experiences, but I think really contributed to my postpartum depression and psychosis, I believe, is there is a thing, and I was never told about this before, having a child. It's called the four-month sleep regression. Oh, it sucks. <laughs> I don't know if you, I'm sure we you We had it the week that well. Joe tested positive for COVID, so I was alone. Yeah. It was Jeez. awful. Yeah. It's a mind fuck because you're like you, finally out. You're like, we did it. <laughs> yes. Nope. Like you're sleeping through the night. Have you hit the 18 month sleep regression? No. Okay. But I've heard of call it. Call me after. Okay. I'll give you a call. Because <laughs> that also hit us hard. Yeah. And and those are the things like you think like, okay, yeah, babies don't sleep at the beginning. But once mm -hmm. they do, like then you're in the clear. It's mm -hmm. all good. And I would say that the four month sleep regression for us happened about around the three month mark. Mm. It was like three and a half months. And suddenly she was almost waking up more than she did in the newborn phase. She was waking up every hour, one to two hours. And to the point where she would wake up, I would try and comfort her. I would try and rock her to sleep. If that didn't work, I would feed her. I would finally get her to sleep. And then I'm not the type of person that like once I'm up, like I can just go right back to sleep. So I had so much adrenaline going in me that I would try and fall back to sleep. I couldn't. And then by the time I like maybe just got some eyes shut, she would wake up again and it would start the whole process. I was going weeks with living off of like maybe an hour of sleep. And the way I like to kind of characterize it for like anyone that hasn't been through this is like, you know, when you're in school and you've got a big exam the next day and you're pulling an all nighter and, you know, you have the entire day after after the test to be able to sleep and recuperate mm -hmm. and you don't have any responsibilities that day. But when you have a child, you're pulling all nighters every night for sometimes weeks, sometimes months, and there is no time to recover that. And there's a reason why they use like sleep deprivation as a form of torture. I was literally just going to say that. <laughs> it it <works>. is. <laughs> it really messes with your brain. It does. Like, it's like nothing I've ever experienced before. And I'm very, yeah. very sensitive to not getting sleep. Yep. Not only mentally, but physically. That's what eventually triggers my migraines. And then I feel even worse. And then I'm stuck in this, like, I can't sleep. I have a migraine. I have to care for him cycle. Mm -hmm. And it is... I think another huge reason why 
mentally postpartum is so difficult. Like you add in the hormones, you add in the life changes, then you add in that you're not sleeping. Then you add in these feelings of I'm supposed to be feeling this way, but I'm not feeling this way. Like it's it's kind of like a recipe for something. Yes, it is. And and this is a reason why, you know, 12 weeks I don't think is enough not for maternity at all. leave. I think you need at, at least all. at least six months, I would say, if not a year. And <laughs> paternity leave should also be lengthy because it should not be all falling on the birthing person. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, just this constant lack of sleep that lasted for weeks. Some of my physical symptoms that I was experiencing was migraines, nausea, loss of attention span. I remember trying to drive into work and being distracted by everything. Like I couldn't focus on the road. I was distracted by a bird flying in my view. I was distracted by like a song that popped up on the radio and like to the point where like I almost missed a stop sign and I like pulled over. I started hysterically crying and being like, just what the hell is happening right now? I don't feel safe to be in this car. I definitely don't feel safe going to work right now. Like I, I make decisions that affect patients' lives and, mm-hmm. and families. And am, am I in an actual real mental state to be able to making, to be able to make these decisions? Probably not. I remember having to call out of work one day and like I blamed it on like my daughter not feeling well when really it was me. Like I felt scared to go to work because I felt like I physically could not function. And so that's when the big turn started to happen where I was experiencing what I now characterize as parts of postpartum psychosis where I was starting to hear voices. It wasn't the sense where voices were like telling me to do anything or like talking to me specifically, but it almost felt like conversational um, Mm -hmm. speech, almost like you're at a restaurant and I would just be sitting there and almost hearing like conversations happening around me. I would kind of flinch and like ask my husband, like, do you hear that? And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I just feel like there was like a man in this room, like, like talking. And he was like, no, Um, like, okay, like, like, I don't know what's happening to me. Um, So I was hearing voices. I was hallucinating in the sense where I felt that there was people standing in my periphery, Mm -hmm. but I would turn and there'd be no one there. I was having just very dark thoughts, just very like depressive. Like I felt like I was constantly at a funeral, like that kind of feeling, those kinds of thoughts. And the sleep deprivation continued to the point where one day it was the darkest day of my life and the darkest day of my life brought me to you. I remember waking up and I just remember thinking like, I don't see this getting better. It had been weeks at this point of little to no sleep. And the the scariness of permanence is a real thing. Mm-hmm. You really think that what you're in is permanent. Absolutely. And, and it's not going to change. And I felt felt very trapped Mm -hmm. like if I can't get out of this then how how am I going to take myself out and I never I never had feelings like that I consider myself and the people that know me a very happy person that loves life and I I love life and everything I do exemplifies that and so when I was having these thoughts I knew that something was horribly wrong. And so 
I had never made any plans on how I would do it. I just remember thinking, I don't want to be in this body anymore. I don't want to do this life. I never had thoughts of hurting my daughter or anyone else. I just knew that like I needed some way to escape, but I just didn't know how. And so it scared me so much that I didn't know what to do. I didn't know of any like numbers to call. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified to even like tell my own husband or my mom or my family because I just pictured almost like a movie scene where they come and take my daughter away and take me away. And I like never, you know, I go into some institution. I never come out like that. That's what I actually thought would happen to me. So all I could think about doing at the time was this is going to sound so silly, but there's this juice bar <laughs> that is down the street from my house. And we used to go there all the time um, when Millie was an infant and they love her so much. They hold her there. I get to order my juice. I sit, I relax a little bit. And I just remember thinking like, I'm by myself right now. My husband is traveling. It's only me in this house. I need to be out in public. I need to be seen by people and that will help me. So I remember packing. This was, we were in May now. So it was, it was warm enough to go outside. I packed a, a diaper bag. I took my daughter. Um, I just remember like holding her so tightly, you know, like I just yeah. remember like holding onto her so tightly. And I just remember leaving the house going to this juice bar and and handing her off and then just sitting there like drinking my smoothie and just trying to develop a plan. I'm like, okay, I'm having these bad thoughts. Like, what do I do now? What is my next step? Today's episode is sponsored by a new brand that I am so excited to share with you all, KiwiCo. You guys know how I have been making a conscious effort to tap back into childhood play and to actively spend no phone time with my son. And this is such a great option for parents and family to have some dedicated playtime. KiwiCo is redefining the future of play by making it engaging, enriching, and seriously fun. As someone who gets somewhat overwhelmed shopping for their child, the KiwiCo website is so easy to navigate. You can filter by age, choose whether you want monthly subscription boxes shipped or purchase individual crates, and explore new subjects with the curated collections. Given that my son is very into art lately, I have been eyeing up some of the art and creativity kits that I cannot wait to try. Specifically, I am so pumped to check out the Handcrafter Paper Bowls kit with him that I just ordered. We have been setting up a whole arts and crafts section in our basement, and I see many of KiwiCo projects happening there in our future. If you're looking to keep your kid interested in their toys and excited for playtime, they can get super hands-on science, art, and geography projects delivered to their door every month with KiwiCo. Talk about getting excited for the mailman to show up. Redefine learning with play and explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence and problem-solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com slash Cameron. That's a 50% off your first month at kiwico.com slash Cameron. If you follow me on TikTok, then you've seen my learning to love lunch series. 
I've basically just been sitting down every day and telling you what I'm having for lunch and explaining that I just don't like lunch. And if you don't follow me, then you should. But the background of this series is that I simply am just not a lunch person. By the time lunch rolls around, I'm always in the middle of my flow with work. I never want to take a break to make something. And I always just feel so underwhelmed by my options. And I know per my comments that many of you can agree. That is one of the reasons why I love Saqqara so much. Having ready to eat plant rich meals in my fridge make lunch so freaking easy. I quickly stop working for a quick second, grab my lunch out of the fridge, reheat if necessary and enjoy. Not only does the food leave me feeling great and clear of my post-lunch mid-afternoon slump want to crawl into bed and nap, but it is also delicious. From farm-fresh salads to delicious pastas, Saqqara has such incredible variety. Saqqara delivers science-backed, plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. Their ready-to-eat meals are nutritionally designed to deliver results, from weight management and eased bloat to boosted energy and clearer skin. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash Cameron or enter code Cameron at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash Cameron to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash Cameron. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And at this point, you had started to kind of come into my universe via the TikTok algorithm. (laughs) (laughs) I had seen a couple of videos of like lazy fucking dinners for Liam. (laughs) And it just made me laugh because I'm like, this girl, I love her already. (laughs) I love her carefree use of the F-bomb. Like, I just love everything about (laughs) you. you. (laughs) So I'm like, I just felt, even though I don't know you, and today's the first day that I've actually met you, I just felt like in that moment you were my friend. And I had also been following Emily DiDonato because Mm -hmm. we love Emily. She's got great advice on, especially for pregnancy fashion. Um, I had used a lot of her tips on how to style my bump. And I just loved her content. I followed Lucy Fink at the time. And so I knew that you had a podcast and that Emily DiDonato had been a guest of yours. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll just listen to a podcast and and the title was, you know, going on our mental health walks <laughs> mental and health other walks. postpartum anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought like, okay, I will listen to this and this will make me feel better. So I I leave the juice bar, I go to the park, I sit on this bench and holding my daughter while she's sleeping. And I sit on this bench for close to three hours listening to that podcast over and over and over again. Literally because- like <laughs> I was there for like three hours because that's like the only thing, only thing that made me feel good at the time. Like, because I just, you, you made me feel not alone. Everything that you guys said resonated with me so deeply. And, um, 
just everything that Emily was saying about her postpartum anxiety, not being able to sleep, even though she was so tired. I was like, yes, um, absolutely. And, and for the first time I felt like something is not wrong with me. This is very common. And, and why has no one talked about this? You know, up until that point I had, you know, shared with my OB, you know, not not the darker thoughts that I was experiencing, yeah. but some of my anxiety symptoms. And all I would get kind of is like, oh, that's that's interesting. And I'm like, yeah, it's fucking interesting. <laughs> like, make it go away. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> it's real, real interesting. And so I just remember consuming so much content of yours, just listening to I went from the Emily DiDonato episode to other episodes that you had about motherhood and, and postpartum depression and Everything you said just resonated with me so much and made me feel so much less alone. Okay, well, I've never cried like this <laughs> in an episode ever. Um, a, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing because I, those feelings, I said this to you before we started recording, like when I hear someone talk about their postpartum experience, especially when it's like so fresh, it makes me so emotional because I can so easily tap back into feeling that way. And like, I have really specific memories of being like, and I, I think I've talked about this before, but being at my family's beach house and everyone's having so much fun. And I'm just looking around like, I don't want to, I have, I have nothing to provide to bring. I don't want to be here. I don't want to talk to anyone and going like sneaking away as if I was going to the bathroom and going up to this third floor, like hangout room and turning all of the lights off and just sitting there, not on my phone, not reading, not watching TV, just sitting there, not sleeping with my eyes open being like, how am I going to do this? Like, how is this my life? And it feeling so permanent and just feeling so, so sad, like so sad. And it was for me the first realization of like, this is not okay. And the intrusive thoughts I had during early postpartum were more like I could tap into. I've always kind of felt like I can't drive by like the medians in a highway, you know, sometimes when there's like those cement medians, because I'm like, what if I just drove into one? Like, that's where my brain goes. I'm like, what if I just, and I, I, I'm not saying I want to, but I have these intrusive thoughts of like, what if I just did that? Or it's like, if something's hot, I'm like, well, what if I touch it? And so when I was having these intrusive thoughts of like, what if I did drop him down and throw him downstairs? What if I did hit his head on this door frame? What if I did drop him on our, like a cement floor? Those felt awful and horrific. And I felt so much shame admitting them. But I also was like, well, I've always kind of had this, like, what if I did that? But the depression, I had never felt anything like that at all. And it, you said it best, like it just felt so permanent. Mm -hmm. And you sharing that A means so much, but also the fact that I in some way am doing what I like, the mission of my work is, and it's really easy for me to forget that like people like you exist. Yes, I get DMs. Yes, they say all of these things and it makes me feel so happy, but I also have a really hard time focusing on that versus focusing on the people that tear me to shreds. And 
hearing like this, it's like I, I'm done. I did, <laughs> I did what I was supposed to do. Like I can go to bed happy. So thank you, a lot. I'm a fucking wreck. <laughs> um, Same, an absolute wreck. I do want to ask, like, what did you feel helped you for someone who's listening? Because I know there are going to be people listening who are like, Jesus, I relate to so much of this. What did you find helped? Well, what I want to say is it's not as simple as just picking up the phone and making one phone call. I had to actively fight for help. I had Mm -hmm. to make several phone calls, go to several appointments, do a lot of soul searching. Um, It started with me calling up my primary care provider because at that point I didn't know what to do. And his office is quite close to my house. And so I'm like, okay, like at least it's close proximity. I just need to talk to someone right now. And uh, we just, our prior relationship was just me coming into the office for, you know, annual physicals and then like the occasional antibiotic if I had a UTI or something. So like he probably was not the best person to like (laughs) Mm -hmm. be the first person I go to, but at least it was a start. And it got me my foot in the door, at least letting a medical professional know what I was experiencing. And so I did start on, I'm not going to say the name of the medication because it didn't work for me. And it is a very common medication. And, you know, so I just don't want people to think that it doesn't work for um, others because it does. But so I started out on one antidepressant medication and I had a bad reaction to it. I had like severe migraines, um, nausea, vomiting that I could not control. I couldn't keep any food down. So it, it didn't work. And and that's okay. At the time, it was a big blow to me because I'm like, okay, like I'm really putting myself out there. Right. I'm trying to get this help. I'm making these phone calls. I'm taking the medicine and this doesn't even help. So I took a breath and I'm like, all right, let's just, let's try again. And so I reached out to him. I said, hey, I'm having a bad reaction to this. This isn't working. And he then referred me to my OB. He's like, I think this needs to be managed by them. And so I'm like, okay. So I go to my gyno and I tell them what I'm experiencing about the medication that I took and it's not working for me. So then they then refer me to a nurse practitioner that specializes in postpartum. And I think that's important because we need to be seeing specialists that Mm. know how to treat women in postpartum um, because it's very specific. I think you need to have like the education and knowledge um, and expertise to manage something so fresh and fragile as this. And so she had gone through my whole spiel with her. We had like a whole hour um, consultation And I just remember it was just me like just brain dumping on her, crying through my sentences just and and I remember her just looking at me, taking notes and being like, okay, okay. And at the end of my spiel, she was like, I have some thoughts. I'm like, okay, good. Like, give me your thoughts. I need thoughts. And so she had started me on a medication that targets depression, anxiety, and then also was an appetite stimulant, which is what I really needed at the time because I had lost a significant amount of weight. I was not eating. It was noticeable by my family. And so I started on this type of medication and I've been on it since. And it has definitely, I think, was like a stepping stone in my Mm -hmm. recovery process. And it worked. It worked well for me. It helped me sleep. It also just kind of made me worry less about the little things. I had become very obsessive about baby sleep because I thought for sure that 
if I could just get my daughter to sleep better, that this would make everything be better. So I, and a lot of moms that I talk to experience similar things where you become obsessive about the number of minutes that your baby is sleeping for naps. You become obsessive about the number of times they wake up in the night and they're like, okay, well, maybe they woke up this number of times because they didn't nap so well during the day. So if I can just control how she naps, then maybe I can control the night. All of that obsessive thinking started to kind of die down and get a lot better. And then I started to do individual therapy as well as group therapy. And while individual therapy was fantastic, I really felt that the group therapy was very helpful because it was a lot of moms in a similar space as me, a similar time of life. And we could just hop on the Zoom call and talk about what we were going through in that particular week. It could be as simple as like how to treat a diaper rash to as complex as like, man, I'm I'm having a really hard time with my relationship with my husband right now. You know, it, mm-hmm. it could be simple or complex. And, and that's what I loved about it. And it really goes back to all mothers want is to feel less alone. Absolutely. That is the biggest part, I think, because... I think anyone, but especially moms. Yes. And it it's such this like dichotomy of thought. You, you want to be alone because at all times you have this human attached to you, but at the same time you feel so alone. You can mm-hmm. feel <laughs> the need to be alone and also the feeling of being alone all at the same time. And seeing people makes a big difference. Talking to people. I actually texted. I met a woman who I followed for the past year who I've loved. And turns out we live near each other. I went over to her house to see her for coffee. Bethany Ciatola. And I texted her the day after. And I was like, I feel inclined to tell you that I was really depressed on Monday and Tuesday. And like that coffee date gave me so much light and energy and just... It's so important to be able to relate to someone, whether it's on motherhood. For us, it was especially about our jobs we do being similar and the struggles and like what you have to face or just having a connection of like, oh, I'm not crazy for feeling these things really makes a difference. I am also going to put some numbers and resources in the show notes for people because I think that that's always helpful. I will also say If you are someone who's like, I don't even know where to start, but I want to talk to a community about this, I never plug this because it's intimate and I love it. But I do have a Facebook group, Freckled Foodie Mamas. There are like 1,500 members. They chat all day long, literally all day long. Their posts about the easiest, like what car seat do you have? What's the best pack and play? That kind of stuff. Or like you can do anonymous posts of like, I'm really fucking struggling just to remind yourself that there are other people out there going through similar things. Thank you so much. This has been, I mean, obviously very emotional, (laughs) but really moving and impactful for me and I know for the listeners. So I just wanna say thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of this community, for sharing so honestly and for making the trip to New York to make this happen. Of course. And I want to say to you, thank you for what you're doing. I hope that you know what a huge thank impact you. you have on others and you're really changing people's lives. And thank you. You know, you along with medication and therapy have quite literally saved my life. And I just want you to know that. Thank you so much, you guys. If you're like <laughs> me, you're a fucking hysterical mess right now. But thank you for listening. It always means the world. 
Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I have so much fun recording the show. It is my favorite part of my job and truly is what lights me up. Your feedback and response to every episode is what keeps me going. And if this episode resonated with you, please feel free to DM me over on Instagram or share on your stories. If you are looking for a way to support the show, please rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It means the world to me and it really helps the show grow. Please also make sure to hit subscribe so that you are up to date with new episodes coming at you every Wednesday morning. And of course, please be sure to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at at Cameron Oaks Rogers. I love you and I appreciate your support so much. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.